Hello and welcome back to the Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast. With me, Jonathan Davis, I'm the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook, and I'm joined again this week, as always, by Simon Elliott, the head of Investment Trust Research at Winterflood Securities. Well, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about how complicated the current market situation is, Simon. So many moving parts, inflation, interest rates, Ukraine, and so on. Uh, And one of the things we said is that with so many of these moving parts, we were going to see quite a lot of volatility in the market. It wouldn't be a surprising lot of volatility in the market. And I guess that's pretty much what we've seen this week. If you can uh, take us through what's happened in the market, it's been a little bit of an up and down week. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I mean, let's cover off the numbers first of all. So the investment company sector was down, well, certainly for the first three trading days of the week, obviously a short trading week again this week, but certainly to the close of Thursday, the sector was down 2.5%. That compared with a decline of about 0.9% for the wider UK market in the form of the FTSE All Share. Just to remind people, year to date, investment companies are probably down not too far off 14% now, 137 to be more precise. And that compares with just a very small decline of 0.1% for the UK market. Obviously, the UK market overall benefiting from its higher weighting to the oil and gas sectors and resources in general. But what we also saw this week, and this is really to your point, is we saw the sector average discount widen out. It probably started the week about 4.6%. And again, at the close of Thursday, it had reached 6.9%. And the average so far this year is coming in about 4.7%. But we are seeing some of the, what many people would argue is more the highly regarded uh, investment trust funds being derated. So those investment trusts that have benefited uh, over a number of years from uh, retail demand being able to issue shares because they were trading on premiums, some of those names have been derated. But just uh, maybe before we go through and pick out some of those names, you know, the general market backdrop, obviously, it's pretty hard not to be negative at the moment, given the factors that you've already mentioned. But probably the key developments this week have come from the central banks. So in the US, we saw the Federal Reserve uh, increase their interest rate by 50 basis points. That was the first time in 20 years they've made an increase of that magnitude. But there was some speculation that we could have seen an even larger hike. 75 basis points was being mentioned. Uh, that was taken off the table. In fact, we saw uh, the initial reaction was a bit of a relief rally to that 50 basis points. Uh, and in the UK, again, we saw yet another interest rate rise. In fact, three members of the Monetary Policy Committee voted apparently for a 50 basis point rise. So in the end, it was up 25 basis points. But I think the development, the news that captured the headlines in the UK was the talk of a possible recession next year and also UK inflation set to exceed 10%. And you have to go back a few years to hit 10% as an inflationary number. But, you know, against all this kind of market doom and gloom, there was always some people out there who are winning. And certainly it was a good week for the oil majors, BP and Shell, providing quarterly updates and very strong numbers, unsurprisingly, given the strength of the oil price. In fact, I think Shell's numbers were the highest ever quarterly earnings that they've recorded. Indeed. And so this is a big turnaround for them because it wasn't that long ago that uh, they were making big losses and uh, the oil price was lurking down around $20 a barrel or somewhere of that region. So there has been a huge change over the last couple of years, as we know. But as you say, the uh, the impact of these interest rate changes, and if you like, the fact that the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England are now, if I can put it this way, getting religion in a big way in terms of fighting inflation, they've finally put on their 
inflation fighting flak jackets and are going out there and trying to restore their credibility after what many people feel has been a very being rather slow to tackle this incipient inflation problem. And that, of course, does have all sorts of implications. And if you wanted a, a good definition of stagflation, as you say, having an inflation that looks set to reach 10% on one hand and uh, the economy grinding to a halt on the other, that is about as good a definition of stagflation as you can wish for, unfortunately. Uh, and, of course, one doesn't want to wish for it. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit, though, about how this has all played out in terms of the investment trust sector. April's obviously been a very tough month. Uh, the first quarter was bad as well. But uh, you were talking about the discounts. So give us some indication about the kind of changes in discounts we've seen for some of those popular names you were mentioning uh, before. Yeah, and I think it's worth just, we can highlight some names, but just before we do that, it's worth noting that it's only recently in the last few weeks, last month or so, that we've seen these discounts really widen out on some of these names. So even though their NAV performance might not have been you know, too impressive in the first quarter of the year, it's just recently. And that, to me, would suggest that we are seeing maybe some of the retail investors taking a step back from these names at the moment. So uh, to pick a few out, BlackRock, Throgmorton Trust, yeah, I've got it currently on about a 10% discount. In the last 12 months, it's averaged 1% premium. Uh, another retail favourite, Smithson, similar kind of rating, about a 10-11% discount. Again, average premium rating of 1% over the previous 12 months. Fidelity Special Values, not quite as large a D rating, but probably on about a discount of 6% at the moment. Again, averaged 1% premium rating. To give you a couple more names, Schroeder Asian Total Return, that's on about a 5% discount. Again, 1% average premium. Uh, and Mercantile Investment Trust as well, the JP Morgan Fund. I've got that on about a 16 17% discount or so at the moment. Um, and again, the average would have been narrower than, than 10% over that previous 12-month period. Yeah, so these are becoming quite significant uh, numbers. And of course, the question then to always ask is, well, is this an opportunity or is this a, a harbinger of worse to come? And I guess uh, you can argue it both ways. That's the, the classic dilemma when we get into a very weak market like the one we've seen. Are we actually entering into a bear market or are we actually just seeing a kind of big sell-off driven by a number of obvious factors, bad headlines, things going on in the world that people don't like and a genuine cost of living crisis out there for many people, which obviously was a big issue in the local elections this week as well in the UK. Well, let's just talk about some of these trusts then. We've had some results this week. Let's start with one which has certainly been in the eye of the storm, and that would be Keystone Positive Change, ticker KPC. This is a uh, Bailey Gifford Trust who took over the mandate not so long ago. And uh, it's been tough going, I think. Yes. Well, let's cover off the results first of all. These were interim results for the six months to the end of March. In that time, they generated an NAV total return down 19.1%, and that compared with a rise of 3.6% for the MSCI All Country World Index. In share price terms, they did even worse, actually. They were down 27%, and that was a reflection of the fact their discount moved from about 1% to 11% over that period. So what's the story? What's going on here? Well, the underperformance has been attributed to the sell-off that we've seen in growth stocks, the largest detractor being Moderna, obviously a company that we've talked an awful lot about in the last few years. The managers, so it's Kate Fox and Lee Kuang of Baby Gifford. They've been busy there. They've made new investments in a company called New Holdings, a Latin American digital bank, and also an education company called Duolingo. Um, and they've also added to some existing positions as well. So Norfolk, Peloton, and Teladoc. 
and they've taken some profits on companies such as Tesla and NIBE. But the portfolio continues to encapsulate structural trends such as deflation of renewable technologies, the advancement of computer science, and the need for sustainability. And obviously, the managers, as you would expect from Bailey Giver Fund, very much focused on the long term. But just to your point, I mean, this was a, a mandate that Bailey Gifford won effectively back in February 2021. So not that long ago, but it has been a, a tough time since then. So again, the numbers since that period, they're down about 34% in share price total return terms and down about 24% in NAV terms. But this is very differentiated from the rest of its kind of global equity peers because it has a dual aim. So it looks to exceed its benchmark by at least 2% per annum over a five-year rolling period. Plus, uh, and this is the differentiator, it looks to contribute towards a more sustainable, inclusive world by investing in the equities of companies whose products or services make a positive social or environmental impact. Indeed. And I think one of the points that uh, a lot of people made last year in particular, when everybody was beginning to focus uh, even more on ESG factors and so on, and there was a lot of uh, publicity about all of that. Um, And some people did point out that actually on the whole, many of the stocks that qualified well on ESG grounds were actually kind of growth type stocks. And they've been obviously at the eye of the storm in terms of the sell-off, as you've mentioned already. So this really has been a kind of double whammy, I guess, for this particular trust the combination of having the wrong style and having a particular focus on ESG, which has not been uh, particularly well rewarded. As you say, they they give themselves a five-year mandate effectively to deliver above market returns. Have you had a chance to speak to them and see what they're saying? They're presumably just doing the, the standard Bailey Gifford thing of saying these will all come right in due course? Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't talked to them of late, but I would imagine that that would indeed be their response. I mean, they are long-term investors in common with pretty much all the Bailey Giver funds, frankly, and they'll be looking at this on a five-year view. And the fact that they have made wholesale changes to their portfolio, you know, they've made a couple of new investments, as you would expect, but essentially they've built this portfolio with that long-term in mind. I guess you could say the timing of them taking over was not being very favourable for them, put that mildly. Let's move on then and talk about a, a UK investment trust, uh, and let's talk about Aurora Investment Trust, ticker ARR. This is one we've uh, talked about uh, once or twice. Tell us about this one. They've produced some annual results. That's right. So these were annual results for last year, actually. So 2021, it seems quite historic now. But in that time, they generated an NAV total return of 19.1%. That compared with a rise of 18.3% for the FTSE All Share, so a slight outperformance. Share price total return terms not as good, actually up 13.5%. And that was a function of the fact that discount widened from about 4.6% to, to, to nearer 8%. But the major contributor to performance in 2021 was a hedge against rising inflation. So Aurora Investment Trust are managed by Phoenix Asset Management. So Gary Channon heads up that team. And they took a view basically on inflation. They thought that Inflation wasn't transitory. If you remember, that was a conversation we were having about a year ago. That seems uh, very historic now. And they thought it was uh, more substantial than that. They took out a hedge. They used options on a short sterling future contract. And actually, that was a very wise and successful investment. I think they spent about 1% of NAV. And apparently, they realized it for about 17 times that. So that really helped shore up performance. Uh, Just to remind people, Phoenix Asset Management, uh, quite a contrarian value type investment approach, very concentrated portfolio. In fact, I think there's probably about less than 15 holdings or so at the moment. And they've got big holdings in names such as Fraser Group, Dignity, Hornby, um, and some of the house builders as well. 
So there's quite a lot of exposure to quite domestically focused, UK domestically focused companies at the moment. And of course, I think because of that very successful hedging operation, they um, are just looking at the numbers. I mean, they're certainly over one year, at least they're the best performing trust in the UK, all companies sector, at least according to the AIC. But uh, that doesn't mean they've actually been making money, but they have kept their losses to uh, rather less than the rest of the sector. Would, Would that be a fair description? Yeah, I mean, the numbers I've got in, not to doubt the AIC's numbers, uh, of course, but the numbers no. I've got in front of Perish me... Perish the thought. Perish, <laughs> Perish the thought. Uh, <laughs> I've got them down about 1% in NEV terms over the last 12 months, and most of their peers will be in negative territory. Probably the exception to that actually is Fidelity Special Values. I've got Fidelity Special Values up 4%, uh, just to give them their due. But yeah, look, I mean, clearly that hedge worked very, very well. And what they've also done, it's worth noting, actually, is that they've unwound that, in other words, they've cashed it in, and actually they're sitting largely on the proceeds, and they're quite happy. We have caught up with them relatively recently, and they're quite happy to have that dry powder to deploy as and when. Um, I mean, again, you know, the conversations that, that you and I have just been having about the difficulty in, in market conditions, they wouldn't disagree with that. What they would, however, say is that in terms of they look at the intrinsic value of their portfolio holdings and the difference between the share price and what they think these companies are worth. And they're noting that, you know, that gap is only widening out. In other words, the share prices are falling. They think there's a lot to go for. But they're very mindful of the difficulty that we're facing at the moment, particularly in terms of the UK economy. Indeed. Well, it's interesting, this manoeuvre to put some of these holdings into uh, this castle now. But I mean, some of those holdings, the Dignity, you know, the funeral business, Hornby, which is, we all know what Hornby does, I hope. Uh, they, uh, they're not going to be immune. If we do get a recession or a slowdown, you'd think they're, you know, these companies are going to take a bit of a hit, are they not? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's not as if they're completely immune from uh, the economy, rather the opposite, I would say. It, it's a really good point. And we caught up with a DCN Investment Trust this week as well and hearing about their portfolio, a very different portfolio, but again, UK companies, and, and obviously try to explore what's the impact if we do see this economic slowdown at the same time as inflation. And it, it's quite difficult to make generalizations. So, you know, take a company like Dignity, which, as you, as you mentioned, is a funeral business. I mean, in theory, at least, that should be a relatively recession, inflation-proof business, one would assume. However, there's a lot of things going on with that company. It's very much a special situation. So I'm not being an expert in it, but I would suggest that's going to have more of a factor. You know, companies like Hornby or Stanley Gibbons, which is another one of the Phoenix plays. I mean, yes, they're consumer discretionary businesses, but... They would argue, I'm sure, that a lot of these companies will, will stand up, that you know, people will, will still spend money on their hobbies, frankly, even if, if times get tough. So it's tempting, but at the same time, I think kind of fraught with peril to kind of make you know, generalizations. It's, it's literally going to be a stock by stock situation. I mean, it's fair to say that if, uh, if we do get a recession, then uh, there's going to be an awful lot of companies that will be affected in one way or another. But the ones you want to own will be the ones that have the, uh, the kind of business models that... Uh, have a very stable customer base, of which I suppose we'd have to say dignity is definitely one of those, since uh, mortality rates don't change, particularly in, during a recession. If anything, they might get a little bit worse, I would guess. Okay, so let's talk about another one. Uh, BlackRock Smaller Companies, uh, ticker BRSC. This is a trust which has a very good long-term history, but uh, they produce some annual results. Uh, and these are a bit more up-to-date to the 28th of February. So uh, tell us how they got on. So they generated an NAV total return of 7% in that period, and that compared with a rise of 1.5% for the NSC plus AIM, ex-investment companies, index. In other words, they outperformed. Though in share price, total return terms, not as good, actually. They're up about 1% or so, it's just slightly behind the benchmark. So it's a very stock-specific portfolio. It's UK small caps. 
So what worked in that year, it was companies such as Watches of Switzerland, Next15 Communications, YouGov, Morgan Sindel, uh, Serica Energy and Gulf Keystone Petroleum. Detractors include Jules and International Greetings, which they sold, and Moonpig, which is still in the portfolio. They also benefited from a bit of M&A activity. But that's kind of all in the past. We caught up with Roland Arnold, the investment manager of this one, and unsurprisingly spent more time talking about the future than what had happened over that 12-month period. And he's tilted the portfolio, perhaps unsurprisingly. So the overweight position in consumer-related stocks has been reduced. He's becoming kind of far more discerning. His view, actually, because we talked about this whole kind of recession thing, would it happen? I mean, his personal view is that it's obviously a possibility, but he believed it would be fleeting if it were to arise um, and in a very sharp recession. And he essentially believes that the consumer balance sheet, if you think of it in those terms, is strong. And he doesn't believe that unemployment will go up material. Obviously, unemployment is relatively low at the moment. But you know, his overarching comment was that the current environment is as difficult as he's known it in his investment career for the reasons that we've kind of all outlined. But it's very much uh, the focus very much on the stocks. He has increased exposure to the resources sector as well, which is not an area he's played particularly historically, but he's happy to actually make that a slight overweight as well. Well, how does that one sit now in the universe in terms of ratings and so on? It's been pretty brutal out there in the smaller companies sector, as we've noted more than once. Uh, how is its uh, share price doing relative to some of its well-known peers? Yeah, so it has been derated. So on average, over the previous 12 months, it's, it's traded on an average 6% discount. It's now on about a 15% discount. But as mentioned, uh, you know, it's in good company. So the kind of weighted average small cap discount at the moment for about 12 13%, so a little bit wider than that. In share price terms, I mean, look, it's been a really tough period. So over the last, uh, you know, six months, it's down about 28% in share price terms. In NAV terms, down 21%. So you can see how that derating is coming through. But over a kind of five-year share price total return numbers, it's coming in about 34% or so at the moment. And that's above the average for its peer group. I've got the average for its peer group up about 28% over the last five years. Yeah, it's a tough environment for small cap at the moment. So let's move on and talk about some overseas results now, starting with Aberdeen Latin American Income Fund, ticker ALAI. They've had some interim results. That's right, interim results for the six months to the end of February. Uh, in that time, they generated an NAV total return was actually down about 2.2%, and that compared with a rise of 0.6% for their reference index. And it's just worth noting that this is a hybrid kind of uh, investment strategy. So it has equities and bonds. So the, the benchmark re reflects that it's 60% equities, 40% bonds. They maintain their interim dividend at 0.875p. And that's payable towards the end of this month. But that will require revenue reserves. In other words, it's not covered by earnings. And the board made it clear that the whole distribution policy remains under review. The share price total return came in, that was down about 4.3% as the discount widened in the year. And in terms of that NEV performance, that was attributed to stock selection in Brazil. But as I mentioned, it is a kind of hybrid fund. So the gearing stood at about 16% at the end of the year. But a lot of that kind of geared exposure is into the bond portfolio, if that makes sense. So there's about 74% of net assets uh, are exposed to equities, or certainly they were at the end of March. Of course, and Latin America, as we know, has uh, suddenly kind of come back from the dead. It's been one of the worst performing sectors over quite a long time. But because of the commodity boom, anyone who's exposed there, and there aren't many trusts left down there now, are there? There's uh, a BlackRock Latin America, I think, and uh, and this one, but that's about it, isn't it now? 
yeah, it's just the two, uh, the kind of pure play. So the Aberdeen Fund is relatively small. It's got a market cap of 32 million now. And the BlackRock Latin American Fund, that's got a 152 million pound market cap. And they're both paying a yield of what, five, six percent, something like that? Yeah, that's right. So the Aberdeen Fund, about 6.3% on a historic basis. The BlackRock Fund, about 5.6%. Okay, so that's an interesting little corner of the world. Let's talk about another one, which is Weiss Career Opportunity Fund, WKOF, which obviously we know what that does because it says on the tin. Uh, what have they had to say? So these were annual results, again, for 2021, actually. So just to cover off the numbers, the NAV total return was down about 1.4%. That compared with a decline of 6.1% for the benchmark. Uh, and that was a reflection of the fact that it actually moved to a little bit of a premium during that time. But just to kind of remind people or even to tell people they might not be familiar with this one, this is a very specialised uh, investment trust, basically invests mainly in listed South Korean preference shares. So the idea is that the preference shares invariably trade at a discount to their kind of main share class. That's probably a reflection of the fact they've got limited voting rights, but you do get that additional fixed payment. So Vice Asset Management, who are a Boston-based investment house, they launched this fund back in 2013. And it was really to kind of take advantage of that valuation gap between the PREF shares and the ordinary shares of these Korean companies. That The kind of PREF shares date back to the 1990s, uh, when there was a whole wave of these kind of Korean corporates issuing this kind of paper. And there's, there's a bit of a corporate governance play here because what's kind of happened over uh, recent years is a lot of these PREF shares have been uh, retired or, or converted into the ordinary share class. And there obviously could potentially be a pickup. So Vice at the moment estimate that their kind of portfolio is on about a 51% discount in NAV terms versus the NAV if they held the equivalent common share classes, if that makes sense. They also pay a dividend as well. And the dividend per share for 2021 came in at 5.2311p. Uh, and that was actually up on the previous year, which was at 3.9549p. But yeah, a very different uh, investment trust. This one, a relatively concentrated portfolio, just under 40 holdings. And uh, do people like this one on the whole? Does it trade quite tightly? I've got it on about a 2% discount at the moment. So I would suggest its, its shareholder base would be kind of more institutional uh, in nature. You would think so. You certainly would think so. Okay, so let's move on then and talk about some specialist trusts now. And we're going to kick off with the first of two trusts managed by Foresight, which have reported this week. And the first one is perhaps their best known fund, which is the Foresight Solar Fund, ticker FSFL. And uh, they've given us an NAV update. Yeah, so this is a kind of Q1 NAV update. And basically, it's a pretty positive story. So their NAV was up 8.2% in the first three months of the year. And what's going on here? Well, as perhaps we might imagine, it's benefiting from the upward revision in short and medium term power price forecasts. So of that kind of 8.9p increase in the NAV, 5.8p came from basically the increase in the power price forecast. There are other kind of positive bits as well. I mean, they entered into some new power purchase agreements uh, which benefited the NAV and also higher actual inflation assumption that also increased the NAV by 2.1p. So basically, it's all kind of positive in NAV terms at the very least for Foresight Solar. And in fact, they made the point that the, the total revenue for the first quarter of the year was 30% above budget. Also worth noting that the gearing at the end of March in terms of over as a percentage of gross asset values came in about 42-43%. So again, I would suggest that's kind of on the high side to where it's been uh, historically. 
I remember we talked about the solar funds a few weeks back and saying that they've been a bit sort of left behind in the generally positive ratings of renewable energy trusts. And uh, I know you've been talking to all the uh, the solar funds uh, that are out there, Simon, recently. So what's been happening? Have they uh, have they been picking up support again? Have their ratings moved in? Or what's uh, been the effect of these positive announcements they've been making? I think the answer to that is yes, uh, broadly speaking. So Foresight Solar Fund, I've got it on about a 10, 11% premium or so at the moment. So that's certainly picked up. On average, over the previous 12 months, it's traded on an average 2% premium. And actually, if you look in share price terms, just over the very short term, probably over the last three months or so, the share price is up about 18%. So there has been a bit of a, a following wind for solar so far this year. I mean, just to cover off the longer term numbers, in terms of five-year share price total return, that's coming in about 43% or so at the moment. Yeah. And these things obviously have sold a lot on their yields, and that one is still yielding, I think, quite well. Obviously, it's yielding around 6%, I think, something like that. Okay, let's move on and talk about Foresight Sustainable Forestry. This is a much more recent arrival on the market from the same house, effectively the same management house anyway. Uh, Ticker FSF, not to be confused with FSFL, the one we've just been talking about. Uh, And what have they uh, had to say? Well, this is an update really for the period to the end of March from their IPO in November last year. So basically, they're making progress. The NAV was actually up 6.1p in that period, and that reflected uh, portfolio valuation gains of just over 6%. So kind of to break that down, the forestry element of the portfolio, that was up about 2%. But the forestation assets, and, and I'm sure you know what a forestation is, but it's basically the process whereby new forests are planted across land without trees. Um, so that was the bit that really kind of kicked the NAV on. That was up 18%. But they've done well in terms of deploying the capital they raised through IPO, which thinking back to the equivalent we talked about about a week or so ago, that hasn't been the case in that instance. Uh, Foresight have been successful. So 91% of the IPO proceeds have been deployed. They're sitting on cash, or they were at the end of March, about £4 million or so. But they have got quite a significant potential pipeline. They're talking about 4,500 afforestation properties. And in fact, they are currently transacting under exclusivity 12 properties which are valued at £18 million. So does this mean that uh, we might see them uh, coming to the market again? Would that be a logical implication of this? It's often the pattern with these renewable energy trusts. When the new ones come to the market, they follow up relatively quickly, asking for some more money from shareholders. Do you think that's a possibility here? Um, it's certainly not an impossibility. I mean, I've got it on a share price about 106p or so at the moment. As I mentioned, that NAV at the end of March was sitting about 104 spot 2p. In other words, there are a bit of a premium. So yes, it is a possibility. I mean, if they did want to kind of build out their portfolio and they decided not to come back to the market to raise additional capital, they could look at putting in some debt arrangements. um, And that might be one way of doing it. And certainly, we've seen some of these kind of more specialist alternative income type products uh, though this isn't uh, an income play, I should say, in this particular instance, but they've been quite good at effectively um, you know, borrowing to kind of build the portfolio and then come into the market to effectively negate that debt level. So we'll see how this particular fund does it. Okay, let's move on then and talk about Gresham House Energy Storage Fund, ticker GRID, G-R-I-D. This is one I always take an interest in since I own a few shares in this one myself. And I think it's doing okay. Tell us what they've had to say. What's their latest update or should I be worrying about it? Well, um, hopefully this doesn't give you too many more grey hairs because actually it's a pretty positive quarterly update. So I think when we last talked about it, they'd said the NAV is going to go up and there's various reasons why it's going to go up. And lo and behold, that's what's come to pass. The NAV is up just short of 13% in the three-month period. 
And this actually exceeded the guidance that they'd given. I think back when they announced their results for 2021, they said we, we expect to be about 124p at the end of March. Um, in reality, it's coming in just short of 132p. So happy days. So what's happened here? Well, there have been some kind of contracts awarded. That's kicked the NAV up about 5.3p. Um, there's been some revaluation of various projects under construction. Again, that's kicked the NAV up at 4.2p. Higher inflation assumptions. So this, again, will be a familiar theme across many of these type of vehicles. And also higher revenue assumptions. So it's all kind of working in their favour. They've also given some guidance on what they expect the NAV to be at the end of June. And they're talking about a range of 140 to 145p and possibly at the upper end of that. And that would represent an increase in the NAV of about uh, 8.1p to 13.1p. So, you know, again, an increase of between 6 and and 10%. So they're talking quite a good game. Uh, They're pretty positive on how this portfolio is building out. And they're also involved in a number of construction products as well. Good news for shareholders such as yourself is that they've declared a dividend of 1.75p for the quarter. Indeed. Well, that one is going well. One of the interesting questions, though, of course, is uh, what will be the impact of uh, competition? There's an awful lot of people looking to develop this kind of projects. And uh, we'll see whether that in turn helps or does not help this kind of trust. So because it's trading at a big premium, um, just what kind of yield does that dividend represent? So I've got the yield about 4.6% or so at the moment. Okay. So let's move on then and talk about Harmony Energy Income, ticker H-E-I-T, another relative newcomer. Yeah, that's right. And this was an update, really just to kind of give investors an idea of how they're building their portfolio out. So um, they talked about executing two further EPC contracts. And obviously, there's a dreadful proliferation of acronyms across the investment industry in general. But EPC, as I'm sure you know, stands for Engineering, Procurement and Construction. But basically, they're they're large, complex contracts. So they've executed two of these with Tesla. And that's to kind of build out projects uh, in Farnham, which is for 20 megawatts, and Rush Home, 35 megawatts. But they've also been in discussions with Tesla, who's the kind of preferred partner. And that was made clear at launch given the backdrop of rising raw material costs. So it's it's slightly involved, but they've basically agreed a suite of contractual amendments, which will essentially allow Tesla to increase the pricing on their three remaining seed portfolio projects in exchange for an enhanced contractual terms to maximise the profitability on the batteries. So there's a bit of a quid pro quo going on here. Um, Harmony Energy say that, that this will have a neutral impact on base case returns. So in other words, no impact necessarily on expected returns. But it just shows how things are kind of moving on given higher material costs and and all the rest of it. So currently, they've got four projects under construction. In fact, independent revenue forecasts uh, have actually increased by 27% on a net present value basis. So the story is kind of moving on. And they've also agreed a debt facility for £60 million. Okay, well, let's move on then and talk about Octopus Renewables Infrastructure Trust, ticker O-R-I-T, another player in the renewables sector. And tell us uh, what they've had to say. So yet again, an NAV update, an interim dividend. So the NAV was up 1.7% in the period over the three-month period to the end of March. And again, familiar story, energy price forecasts, they're beneficiary of those. Also, the increases to short-term inflation forecast, that benefited the NAV. But there were a few headwinds as well. So there were some contractual negotiations 
in Sweden, and that took the NAV down a little bit. But overall, clearly, that NAV up 1.7%. And at the end of March, 56% of the fund's forecast revenue over the 24-month period, to end of March 2024, is fixed. Uh, and that will actually rise to 61% as at the end of April. Okay, and what's the yield like on this one? How does that compare with what we were talking about earlier? We talked about uh, around 6% for the solar fund and uh, Gresham House, a little bit less than that. But how does this one perform in that sense? So they've got a dividend target of 5 spot 24p for their 2022 financial year. And in fact, on a historic basis, their yield is about 4.4% at the moment. Okay. Very good. Let's move on then. We've got a few property trusts to race through, if you like. I don't want to underplay the interest of what's happening in the property sector, but these are, tend to be in the form of Q1 NAV updates. And uh, as we mentioned before, generally, um, they've all been pretty good, actually, to be fair, during this period. So there have been a lot of winners as well as losers in this uh, very tough start to the year for equity markets. Let's start off with Alternative Income REIT, uh, ticker AIRE. Perhaps you could remind us uh, what their history is and tell us about their latest update. Yeah, so this was an update for the first quarter of the year, as you mentioned. And this is probably one of the smaller property plays. I mean, the numbers were good. The numbers were positive. The NAV total return was up 4.8% in that three-month period. In share price terms, even better, actually up 9.3%. The property portfolio was valued at just over £115 million, and that's across 19 different properties. So like-for-like increase in value over the quarter came in up about 2.2%. But the adjusted earnings per share, they equated to 1.4p, and that was slightly up on the previous quarter. But they've declared a dividend of 1.3p, and that was in line with the previous quarter as well. So in other words, it was covered. But they're on track, apparently, to deliver their target annual dividend of 5.5p. Okay, let's talk about Home REIT next, ticker HOME, H-O-M-E, and they've had some interim results. So yeah, the six-month period to the end of February, again, a decent set of results. The NAV total return came in up 7.9%, uh, and they've been quite busy acquiring new properties. So they acquired 874 properties in that time. That takes the whole portfolio to 1,585 properties which uh, encompass over 8,000 beds. So that whole property portfolio is valued at £713 million. Now, 100% of the income is index-linked, and all rent is funded by support effectively from the government. The portfolio is also 100% let, and so that's all the kind of positive elements. The adjusted cash earnings per share for that six-month period came in at 2.1p, and they've actually paid dividends of 2.5p in respect. So that was in line with their initial targets. Um, they did raise some money during that six-month period back in September, I think it was. They raised about £350 million, and that's all being fully deployed within a four-month period. Okay, and this is one which has uh, benefits from a certain amount, as you say, of index-linked income. Uh, it might be worth just reminding people that uh, many of these uh, trusts, which do have this attractive feature of having index-linked income, but they also have uh, caps and collars, and we might hear more about those if inflation does go on rising up to uh, what, 10%, as you said the Bank of England was, was talking about. Uh, is that right? And that's a sort of general feature of these property companies, the index-linked income. Yeah, that's right. So in the case of Home REIT, it's the annual upward-only rent reviews are index-linked to CPI, so inflation in general. However, there's an annual collar of 1% and a cap of 4%. So, you know, to your point, if we do see kind of inflation sitting at 10%, and let's hope that isn't the case, then they will be kind of capped out at 4%. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they, they may be able to catch up with that later on, but basically, while that's attractive to have that index linking, it doesn't actually fully protect you against inflation or protect them against inflation, I should say. Next, move on to a slightly different vehicle, which is Standard Life Investments Property Income, ticker SLI. They've had an NAV update. Again, yes, covering the three-month period to the end of March. In that time, they generated an NAV to the return of 6.6%. The portfolio valuation was up about 4.4% on a like-for-like basis and came in just short of £513 million. So the manager is Jason Bagley, a very experienced manager, part of the Aberdeen stable, has been busy in terms of securing six new lettings. Um, There's also been a number of solar panel schemes on a number of their uh, industrial and logistics assets and really with a a drive to uh, make them operational net zero units. So that's a big theme now across many commercial property funds. But uh, in terms of where they are on the balance sheet, their net loan to value was just short of 19%, and that was below the target level. So that's just a reflection of the way the portfolio has moved around a little bit. But I think there's probably an expectation that that will increase as they make more acquisitions. In terms of where they are in rent collection, uh, that stood at about 90% as of the 17th of April, Apparently, it was uh, 79% for the second quarter, but the managers expect the figures to increase in line with previous quarters. So we already knew this, but the dividend increase up to 1p for the previous quarter. So that's continuing. And the dividend cover for the first quarter of this year came in at 103%. Well, that will certainly be uh, encouraging given that, uh, well, as we know, the dividend wouldn't have been covered in the aftermath of the pandemic and so on for, for quite a while. We'll come back and talk about what's been happening in the market for property stock. So let's just finish off there by going through one or two more. A target Healthcare REIT, a specialist property trust, a ticker THRL. What's their update? Yeah, again, so positive, um, possibly not quite to the same level as some of the others, but the NAV total return was up 2.5%. So the portfolio was valued at just short of $887 million at the end of March, and it saw an increase of 1.1% on a like-for-like basis. Um, They also saw a 34% increase in adjusted EPRA earnings, and that supports the progression towards a full dividend cover. Uh, And they declared a dividend for their quarter of 1.69p. Next up is uh, Tritax Big Box REIT, one of the really most successful property trusts we've had in the last uh, few years, ticker BBOX. Uh, Successful both in terms of performance and in terms of asset uh, raising. What have they had to say? Yeah, so this was an update just kind of year to date and basically a lot of detail with regards to their development plan. So they're making quite a bit of progress on this front. And and this is something that they've been pursuing for a little while, actually, with a number of these kind of commercial property plays, invariably acquisitions are kind of existing properties where they have a tenant and so you can value on a yield basis. In the case of Tritax, Big Box REIT, they're looking to develop their own sites. And, and what's the attraction of that is the idea is that eventually they'll generate better returns. You might have a gap in terms of the income being generated in the short term, but you do get that yield pickup as and when that's developed. So that, that was really the kind of key focus uh, of the development. They made it clear that the fund remains on track to deliver between three and four million square feet of development starts in the financial year 2022. And they will be within the six to 8% yield on a cost target range. Okay, well, again, we'll come back to the overall sector and the performance. And let's just finally talk about UK commercial property REIT, ticker UKCM, and their update. Uh, how does that compare? 
Yeah, I think this possibly came in as one of the strongest quarterly updates. Actually, the NAV total return was up 9.8%. The like-for-like portfolio valuation, that was up 7.9%. And it's quite a big portfolio, this one. So it's just short of 1.7 billion. And the reason, really, they did so well in that quarter was because about 64% of the portfolio is in industrial. And that's been the very positive area within the property world. In terms of rent collections, well, they came in about 95% for the quarter. And in fact, the quarterly dividend, that's increased by a further 6.7% to 0.8p per share. So the earnings per share, the EPRA earnings per share, I should say, came in at 0.76p. That was actually down from the previous quarter, but that was slightly elevated level because of a, a reduction in bad debt provisions. So um, the key point is that the dividend is slightly uncovered at the moment. Also, another good news, Will Fulton uh, has rejoined the management team there. So he had a, a temporary period of absence due to illness, but he's back at the desk. So I mean, if we look at the performance of the commercial property sector in the round, including some of these specialist trusts, they aren't directly comparable, but they're both you know, obviously of interest. I mean, one of the things that stood out, as you mentioned earlier on, I mean, Tritac's big box has been, as I said, extraordinarily successful traded at a very big premium for quite a long time. Uh, but that has sold off quite uh, significantly in the last, uh, well, in the last week or couple of weeks or so. Uh, is there any uh, particular reason for that? Or is it just the fact that the premium got too high, would you say? Well, yeah, I mean, just on that, I've got it on a premium of about 12% or so at the moment. But the average premium that it's traded on over the previous 12 months is nearer to about 18 19%. So you're absolutely right. It has been sold off, probably the share price down about 13% or so in the last month. I mean, the long-term uh, performance numbers are still very strong. So over the last five years, the share price total return is at 87%. But it has seen a bit of a sell-off. And, uh, you know, as I said, that's not uncommon now across the whole investment company space. But the fact that this one's yielding about 3.2% or so at the moment means that it's slightly on the lower side in terms of commercial property in general. It is indeed. But it's become a very large animal as well. So it's become a very large liquid uh, vehicle. And if people were looking to lighten up, I guess, their holdings, this would be one obvious place to go where you find much easier to dispose of your shares if you were so minded. I mean, it's uh, it's getting on for five billion or something, isn't it? Now this uh, this trust, it's a, it's a big boy. Yeah, so I've got the market cap at four billion, but you're right in terms of the assets, I've got it at five point two. So you know, this is a substantial company. So they're still trading on a double digit uh, premium and paying a yield of around three percent or so, a bit more. Um, let's compare that with some of the others. Let's just take them in order. Then uh, let's have a look at uh, well, let's look at the two general ones: Standard Life Investments, Property Income, and UK Commercial Property REIT. Uh, how are those two trading? I mean, they're still on a on a discount, obviously. Yeah, that's right. So the Standard Life Fund is on a 22% discount or so at the moment, and that's a little bit wider than the average for the previous 12 months. It's probably about 19%. Uh, UK commercial property, that's gone the other way, actually, in terms of it's on a 13% discount. It's probably averaged about a 16% discount. So that's kind of held up a little bit better than the Standard Life Fund. Uh, it's also larger as well. It's $1.1 billion market cap, the Standard Life Investments Property Income Fund, market cap about 325. But then again, on the yield, the Standard Life Fund has a high yield 4.4% compared with uh, UK commercial property 2.9%. So it's a lower yielding fund. Indeed. So and then on the others, the Home REIT and uh, Target Healthcare. Well, let's talk about Target Healthcare. That traded on a premium for a while, I seem to recall, but is it still there? Just is the answer. I've got it on about a 1% premium. That compares with an average premium rating of about 6 7% over the previous 12 months. 
So it has seen that premium rating uh, eroded a little bit. But it's always worth noting with this, when the NAVs kind of pick up, as is the case in this, you know, you do see, obviously see those premiums contract. But its share price is up about 4% or so over the last month. And that one will give you a dividend. Uh, you mentioned the dividend was uh, 1.69p per share. What does that equate to? I've got it on a historic basis at 6.2%. Right. So you're certainly getting higher yields in some of these specialist property plays. And then uh, home REIT? Well, it's been added. So home REIT still trading on quite a big premium, actually. I've got it on about a 8% premium now. And again, you know, it's a relatively new fund, but it has gained a bit of traction. It's size-wise, it's probably got a market cap of about $680 million or so at the moment. And again, the share price has come off a little bit in the last month, but, uh, you know, we're talking about 3 or 4% or so. So I guess one to a big broader general question really for property is if we are entering a year in which on the one hand we're going to see uh, you know rising inflation which may be a positive for property companies on the whole they are real assets on the whole but at the same time we might be seeing a slowing economy and rising interest rates those last two would not necessarily be positive for commercial property companies you'd think uh, unless they're in specialist areas which are you know immune from what's happening in the wider economy uh, so, for example, you know, if you've got offices or if you've got shops or whatever it might be, you're going to be affected to some extent by their macro position. So do you think the kind of climate for commercial property trusts in, in general, has that taken a bit of a turn for the worse with all these uh, changes that are going on? I think that's a fair comment. I mean, obviously, we look at the property investment companies, which are a subset of the wider kind of property world. So if you look at a vehicle such as TR Property, which is an investment trust that specialises, it has some direct property, but effectively it specialises in property equities. Well, if you look at its performance in NAV terms over the last month, that's down about 10% or so. So, I mean, you know, that will be investing in companies such as land securities, British land, and so on and so forth, as well as other European property plays. So there is economic sensitivity, as you rightly say, in the sector. Uh, and one suspects that certainly if the economic outlook deteriorated further, that it would have an impact on these property names. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of trade-off, isn't it, between the uh, the yields on some of these property plays are very attractive to the extent they're protected uh, even more so, but they can't be immune to the general uh, economic scenario, I would say. Certainly, historically, I think that's been the case. Okay, so that's really all the results we've had this week. Perhaps we just uh, finish off by talking just a little bit about what might be coming up in the next few weeks. We have uh, the old saying, you know, sell in May and go away. That's often a kind of one of those old adages is wheeled out. But uh, given what's happened already this year in the markets in the first four months of the year, uh, maybe that won't apply this year. It's, a, it's not actually that useful an indicator. But uh, what do you feel? What's your kind of reading of kind of sentiment amongst investors out there? You mentioned retail investors maybe have turned cautious and have been selling things. But what about uh, institutional uh, clients of yours? I think everyone's got a, a note or degree of caution at the moment. I mentioned uh, you know Roland Arnold's comments uh, earlier on in the podcast that he made on a call this week in terms of he's never experienced such a difficult testing environment because of the different moving parts that we're seeing at the moment. So it is very, very tricky to navigate. However, undoubtedly, there'll be those investors who will be looking for those investment trust companies that, frankly, have performed very well over the long term. And if they feel that they're also getting hit with the backwash of negative sentiment, I suspect one or two will be tempted to look to take advantage. Now, you know, there's the old adage, beware of catching a falling knife. And it's very easy to be a little early uh, in these instances. But where we start seeing uh, investment trust companies derate and those discounts widen out, then undoubtedly some people will see that as an opportunity. Indeed. 
Well, this week, if you're a subscriber to the Moneymakers Circle, we actually have a, a, a detailed profile of one of these commercial property trusts, which is AEWUK REIT, which has been undoubtedly one of the more successful trusts in the commercial property sector, one of the only one that didn't cut its dividend during the pandemic. Uh, and, of course, some uh, general comments about what's happening, and particularly about the uh, announcements from central banks this week and so on. I've uh, done some work on that and updated the portfolios to show how things are faring in this very choppy market climate. And I'm very happy to say that some of them are doing quite well and they're all performing pretty much as expected. The defensive one has done very well. The income one has done very well. But the uh, the growth portfolio is, uh, has obviously taken a bit of a hit and uh, will remain vulnerable, I think, if, uh, if these current trends uh, continue. So that's all we have time for this week. But uh, we'll be back again uh, next week. Simon, thank you for your time and comments as always. And uh, we'll be speaking again soon. Thank you very much. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening. And if you want more news, analysis, interviews, and other investment trust content, don't forget to take a look at our premium service, The Moneymakers Circle, available now at the website.